The last page has been turned on my most recent read. I have just made myself yet another cup of tea, though I am dearly wishing today that I hadn't given up coffee because the thought of a cup of bean juice right now is actually making my hand shake. I could really do with something a bit stronger than my usual morning brew or afternoon brew for that matter. Sleep has been a bit absent of late and perhaps later I will give you an old style mental health update to go into that just a little bit more. There is stuff going on that I actually need to process. I have been working my way through a rather large list of books that are all on a deadline and as anyone who loves to procrastinate will tell you, Deadlines are the only thing that will get your backside off the sofa and onto the treadmill. Metaphorically speaking, of course, no treadmills are in danger here. Anyway, it's another week and another book. As you know, I like to talk about different genres. And as this year has been the one for new authors, over half of my reading list has been by authors that I've never read before. This book is no different. I took a little bit of time deciding between three books when I was choosing my topic of the week, but finally settled on one that actually made me cry a little bit and also came highly recommended by a number of romanticy fans who I've grown to respect over the last year or more because they rarely steer me wrong. Though we are going to be having words about Sarah J Mass and A Court of Mist and Fury, because, yeah, I am discovering that not all hyped fantasy novels are the same, and I don't always like what everyone else does, but that's for another time. As with most other weeks, I have added a few new books to the shelves, and I'm waiting for some more to arrive, including a book that I am really hoping will arrive early next week, early enough, in fact, that I can read it for the weekend. The edition I have ordered looks stunning, it's seriously gorgeous, but the story being told is one that I've been wanting someone to write for literal decades, so I hope that my anticipation isn't going to ruin my enjoyment, as is all too often the case. Anyway, let's talk about this week's book before I get distracted by other books that I haven't even picked up yet, because I still haven't mentioned what I'm going to talk about. And given the chance, I could talk about book buying and my book buying plans forever. So I must focus. Seriously, focus, Ray. Just like the last fantasy I talked about, Fourth Wing, this book has found a very loyal audience, especially on TikTok. In this enemies to lovers fantasy, our characters are fighting back against the gods and doing their best to stay out of the line of fire. As with so many of the more popular new books, I was a little late to the game with this one, but not so late that I missed the hype altogether. That said, it was far less in your face than others I could mention. So here I am, no spoilers, as opinion filled as ever and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as we start a new job on the front line and risk our lives to get the truth of the God Wars to the ears of the people who aren't ready to hear it. Join me as I take on Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. 
Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. This is another of those books that I wasn't sure I was going to read. I nearly bought it three times and abandoned it in my shopping cart, every single one of them. And this is despite the fact that the people I heard talking about it were all saying how good it was, how great the character development, the writing, the plot. I finally succumbed when it was on special offer on the site that bears a name many don't like talking about though I don't admittedly buy books from there as often as I used to, preferring small indie bookstores and, of course, Waterstones for their limited edition hardbacks. Seriously, they are gorgeous. Sometimes this online store has an offer that is too good to ignore, especially when it's reaching the end of the month and my bank account is almost screaming at me to stop buying new books. Anyway, all of that led me to a quiet Sunday afternoon of reading when nothing else was talking to me and I wanted something that made me sigh in a combination of happiness and satisfaction or contentment. When two young rival journalists find love through a magical connection, they must face the depths of hell in a war among gods to seal their fate forever. After centuries of sleep, the gods are warring again but 18-year-old Iris Winnow just wants to hold her family together. Her mother is suffering from addiction and her brother is missing from the front lines. Her best bet is to win the columnist promotion at the Oath Gazette. To combat her worries, Iris writes letters to her brother and slips them beneath her wardrobe door, where they vanish, into the hands of Roman Kitt, her cold and handsome rival at the paper. When he anonymously writes Iris back... The two of them forge a connection that will follow Iris all the way to the front lines of battle for her brother, the fate of mankind, and love. Iris Winnow's older brother Forrest has gone to war to fight on the side of the goddess of music. She seduced him and others like him with her song, and now he has gone to fight against the demons battling on the side of Dacra, a god of the underworld, those who dwell in the darkness and come out at night. While he is away, she has no idea where he has gone, and she is lonely, living with her alcoholic mother and spending her nights typing away on her grandmother's old typewriter, which she locks away during the day, afraid her mother may sell this valuable heirloom to buy drink. Iris has always wanted to be a writer, so she has put herself forward as a potential com columnist for the Oath Gazette, the paper for the people of the city, but she is not alone in her desire to become a journalist, for she is up against Roman C. Kitt. Roman is the son of a wealthy and respective Oath businessman. He has always wanted to be a journalist, and though he acknowledges he doesn't have anywhere near as much raw talent as Iris, something he is jealous of, he has one thing that she doesn't, the support of the editor, but he is living under a cloud of familial expectation and both his parents are already planning his unwanted wedding to the daughter of a well-respected scientist who is creating weapons to use in a war that many deny is even happening. Though she is unable to reach her brother, Iris continues to write her letters to Forrest and something weird is happening to them. She writes them and they disappear, 
but where they're going, she has no idea. Until one day she gets a response from someone called Carver, who seems to understand the pain she is going through, and his letters offer her some modicum of comfort. Iris knows that as far as the job at the Oath Gazette is concerned, she is fighting a losing battle. There is no way that she will be hired over Roman Kit, and this is made very clear on what is probably the worst day of her life. One evening when Iris goes home, her mother isn't there, and the next morning an an unidentified woman is found dead in the streets. Devastated at the loss of her only family, Iris fails to turn up for work and thus loses any chance she may have had because of her skill with words. Kit has the job. Having had enough of playing second fiddle, Iris quits and immediately offers her services as a frontline correspondent to a competing newspaper. With barely any hesitation, she is hired and dispatched to Avalon Bluff, a small town near the source of the God War, somewhere she hopes she will be able to find news of her brother, who hasn't been heard from in six months. Tales from the front are horrible. Nightly attacks, daily warnings, the streets are never safe and the people in Oath are none the wiser because those in power want to hide the truth from them, that war will reach them and they won't be prepared. Avalon Bluff is where Iris discovers she is stronger than she could have believed possible. She makes a friend, Atty, a Fenno journalist, who is just as afraid as Iris. And in their landlady, Marisol, she finds a warm mother figure who helps her to realise that she has something to offer. Despite the danger and her initial nerves, Iris slowly comes into her own. She is able to use her skill as the writer to inject the human element into stories and show her readers that those who are in the immediate firing line are no different from those currently safe in the city. The people fighting on the front line are scared, but protecting their families from the atrocities that the gods are inflicting for a reason that has been lost to myth and history. Iris hasn't been away from Oath for long when a surprise eye arrives in the town in the form of Roman Kit. For some reason, he has called off his arranged marriage, quit his job at the Gazette and made his way to Avalon Bluff, another war correspondent. Slowly but surely, he pushes his way into the life that Iris has made for herself, and his true nature and his secret is uncovered, surprising Iris most of all. This book, as with so many others that have reached the heights of hype on social media, has attracted incredibly positive and very negative reviews amongst readers and across multiple platforms. That's not exactly surprising. No two reviewers the same and that's never been more obvious than it is when I read through the opinions on site like Goodreads. The more research I do for this section of the podcast, the more fascinating I find the way people express their views, especially of the more popular books that attract incredibly divisive perspectives. I should probably stress that whatever the outcome of my reading, I never let the opinion of others sway me. I may be a bit of a pushover in other aspects of my life, believe me, but my view of books is mine and mine alone. However, I find the reviews that others post to be interesting and varied. They really are. 
And that's far more obvious when it comes to books such as this one that have been marketed in such a way that they are clearly intended to be popular with a specific section of the reading masses. As always, I like to provide a balanced perspective because I think that when it comes to deciding on a new book, having views from both ends, both good and bad, is important. I'm not saying that you should allow yourself to be swayed by the views of others, even me, because you are the person who is going to ultimately be doing the reading. But sometimes these views can help you determine whether now is the right time to be reading a book, especially if it contains anything that could be considered potentially triggering or is a sensitive subject. Renata gave this book just one star, and it appears that she really didn't enjoy it at all, judging from her review. She said, The world building is so bad. At some point, the main male character says he loves summer because it's when baseball season is back. They use lifts and have electricity, but use typewriters. The war resembles the fighting strategies they use in World War I, and there's magic and gods. The romance is horrible. The dialogue is so cheesy and cringe. It does not even allow you to have some cosy fun read. It's just strange. Every single chapter sets something that brings you out of the story. I do not understand the hype. I think we need to start reading more to acclaim better books. Because being over 25 and having this as a major literary favourite is just bad. This book came out towards the beginning of April and since that point it's collected just over 18,000 ratings. In fact it was 18,004 as I collated this today and a little under 5,200 fully written reviews. The overall score for the book is 4.38 out of 5 on Goodreads and 86% of the ratings are definitely on the more positive side scoring four and five stars including my own though that may change at some point with less than one percent of ratings being one star there were only 55 readers who found any serious issue with the story however and this is what I do always find interesting when it comes to reading through the negative views of a book a large number of these had the same issue in the case of many books, the problem readers have are normally with the characterization, the repeated use of cliches in the genre, or the overall writing. With Divine Rivals, the most common complaint from those who didn't enjoy the book was with the world building, or rather, in this case, the lack of it, with the second most common problem for them as readers being the dialogue. Stunted narration and cheesy dialogue really bland characters with an elaborate hidden identity romance, which was resolved really poorly. This book has scored very well with reviewers, and despite the fact that the book has been pretty hyped up on social media, the score hasn't suffered too badly. I know that I mentioned this when I reviewed Fourth Wing, but overhyped and popular novels can suffer from their popularity, attracting reviews and negative feedback from people who enjoy the process of hate reading. But everyone is entitled to an opinion and has a right to voice it in whatever method they choose. It's down to us as individuals to give them space in our heads or not. As I say every single week when it comes to opinions, whether it's for a book, a film or a TV programme, 
Every view is personal to the individual who wrote it. So they are completely subjective. When it comes to picking a book for yourself, it's always worth looking at more than one review if you're not sure. Though, to be honest, I would ask a friend, and in fact, that's quite often what I do, because everyone's opinion is different and you're more likely to share views with a friend than you are with a complete stranger. Finding a five-star review was really easy given how many people absolutely adored this book. I didn't need to look far to find one that was complimentary and not of essay length because they always seem to be either incredibly short or incredibly long. These extended essays tend to highlight every element of the plot the reader enjoyed. So while I had a lot to choose from, I didn't want to be reading out someone's dissertation. Really, that just takes way too long. And they tend to be illustrated with GIFs and graphics and quotes and everything else. Very, very creative, but it's not something that translates well to audio. However, it's always lovely to see what people liked or didn't about a book I've read. Jessica gave the book five stars and, if her review is anything to go by, really loved it. She said, This story has the same effect as seeing a glimmer of light whilst being held in a space immersed with seemingly impenetrable darkness. It's amazing to me how Rebecca Ross has taken the horrors of war and crafted a narrative that guides the reader to focus on hope, new directions and comfort. Just like that light. It's really quite lovely and it's all because of the writing. There is such a light and ethereal quality to it which helps lift the heavy and traumatic events of the plot. And the writing also really suits both Iris and Kit's personalities as well. To me, this doesn't feel like an author telling a story about two characters, but rather two characters telling their own story themselves. I am absolutely blown away by this book and know it's one that I will come back to again and again. Reading through the views of others, especially when everyone is so different, is a fascinating way to spend some time if you have it. Of course, we can't see into the heads of every reviewer who leaves a comment on a website, so we do have to take each review written with a pinch of salt. Anyway, now I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross, completely spoiler-free and, as always, 100% honest. Did I like the book? Last time I talked about a hyped-up fantasy, I mentioned how I usually stayed away from them, and then I went and proved myself a liar when I picked up Divine Rivals. What can I say? I had to find out for myself whether the positive reviews about this book were true or not. Ultimately, I did like this book. However, that's not to say that it wasn't without its faults. And to be honest, there are quite a few of them. I can't help but agree with the reviewers who mentioned the lack of world building that went into the story. Divine Rivals depends greatly upon you making assumptions and filling in the gaps when it comes to the history of Oath and the surrounding territories. The story of the Warring Gods have already been told before the novel begins, and the snippets we get from our two main characters, Iris and Kit, are exactly that. Snippets which assume you already know the background. 
There is clearly a class system at play in the world Ross has built, and it would have been quite helpful to have a little bit more of an insight into it before we were flung in at the deep end. Also, would a world map have been too much to ask for? A map is something that I admittedly love. It helps me to envisage where we are talking about and the places we're traveling to throughout the book. And of course, a beautifully drawn map would really complement the gorgeous cover, which itself seems to draw upon 1940s fashion. As was mentioned in several of the reviews on both sides of the coin, this book is clearly referencing our world wars and giving them a fantasy tie by making them about battling gods with demonic warriors to make up their armies. With the talk of muddy trenches, the front lines, dropping bombs at night and unappetising rations, the book could easily have been about an amalgam of World Wars 1 and 2. It in itself, using these awful events as a source of inspiration is not lazy, but providing a lack of background to the specific events that led to this fantasy war could be seen that way. The world that Ross has created sometimes feels a little bit confused and confusing. Early on, we established that it is a world with a magical foundation, specifically highlighted when Iris walks into a shop to purchase some food and it knows how much she can afford and only presents her with items she has the funds for. But it's never made clear exactly how the magic works. Do people have magical abilities? Does any magical ability place them in a different class to others they live with? Is it hereditary? Is it admired, feared? The more I think about certain parts of this world, the more frustrated I become, because I did enjoy the book. Honestly, I know it sounds like I didn't. But as with anything, the moment you start to pick at a strand, everything starts to unravel. At the core of this rather confusing world, we have our two main characters, Iris Winnow and Roman Kit. They are two very different people whose differences are only further enhanced when they are pushed to compete for a single job as a columnist at the much-respected Oath Gazette. Where Iris has had to work for everything, having grown up in poverty, Kit has grown up in privilege. He knows the right people and has the power of his wealthy parents behind him. Of course, not everything is as simple as it seems, something that they discover when they both take the time to look beyond the classist prejudice they have towards each other. You can't help but feel sorry for Iris. Every misfortune that a character could experience is thrown at her. Her brother Forrest went to fight in the war and is missing in action. Her beloved grandmother passed away and then her mother went missing and was found dead the following morning. The one source of comfort that Iris has in all of this is her mysterious pen pal Carver, whose letters keep on turning up thanks to a pair of magical typewriters. Of course, I don't need to say that Carver wasn't the intended recipient of her letters initially. They were the letters she wrote for her brother, but never sent. Of course, the unexplained magic in this world is responsible for her letters going astray. Should I admit now that the more I analyse this, the more I doubt my initial reaction to the book? I gave it four stars. I'm confused. Despite having everything that his parents' wealth could give him, Kit is not happy. He knows that while Iris is never going to be first choice for the job he wants, he knows that she has far more talent than he does. He can see it in her writing and the way that the words just flow out of her. 
and it appears that he is jealous of her abilities and perhaps this is why he comes across as cold and standoffish when she makes her one and only attempt to open up to him in the office. From the moment you start the book, you know that Iris and Kit are our star-crossed lovers, our rivals, the enemies to lovers that you have been promised. However, despite the fact that there is an element of enmity, it's all about a job and their own prejudices. I guess you could say there is a little Lizzie and Darcy in their interactions. For all that Kit is envious of Iris's abilities, Iris is equally as envious of Kit because of who she assumes him to be, for the advantages she believes he has over her. Sure, he is better educated, he has wealthy parents, and because of this he has connections she will never have. But all of that does not necessarily make for an easy or happy life. When Iris heads off to the front line, I admit I expected the book to take a more dramatic and perhaps more tragic turn, and anticipated it almost eagerly, because the book needed some drama. But instead, rivals quickly turn to friends, then even quicker to lovers. And this speedy twist in events is both fantastic, because it leads to plot twists that even with the biggest signposts, I probably wouldn't have seen coming. And frustrating, because it happens so quickly and so close to the end that I resented the cliffhanger we're presented with. All of this is a roundabout way of saying that I enjoyed the book. Honestly, I did. I know, it sounds awful. I liked the characters and their story, but... And it's a large one in flashing lights with fireworks behind it. Silent ones, of course, because I don't need a nervous wreck of a cat. It's not without its faults. I wanted more world building and felt that the book would have seriously benefited from having some kind of good explanation, perhaps a brief prologue explaining the history the world was built upon and how they had reached the point they were at, and then some clarification of the magic in this world. Oh, and of course, that map. Also, things happened so quickly. I never thought that I would say this seriously about a book, but it was too short. Of late, I have read a number of books that have been too long and could have done with a massive and very, very tough edit. Gracie and the Grump, I am looking at you when I say this. Divine Rivals could have done with a nice, clear, world-building paragraph, a bit more exposition when it came to the world society, and perhaps more character interaction to justify the way all of their relationships work out or don't. Remember, no spoilers. Wow, it's not often that I come back to a book for an episode like this and find my own thoughts have shifted so much by going over elements of the book. I've given myself a lot to think about and that's actually just a tiny bit weird. I'm starting to doubt my own opinion. That's That so rarely happens with books. Will I read anything else by Rebecca Ross? I am most likely going to purchase the sequel to this, Ruthless Vows, which is due for release in December this year. At the moment, that's what it's saying in America. I don't know about the UK, so please don't quote me. The original date was April 2024, but it seems that popularity for this book has brought it forward a good few months. Again, I say I'm only going by what has been posted by Rebecca Ross on her Instagram, and that might not be the case for the UK. 
I have also heard incredibly good things about another duology of hers, Elements of Cadence, but I won't be rushing out to buy it immediately. I think that I need to let this one percolate a little bit more, and there are other books on my list that I really do need to get to first. If you're looking for something like this, or you loved this and want something else, then maybe you'll love these. I guess what you want to read after reading this book depends entirely on why you picked Divine Rivals up in the first place. This book, at its heart, is a romanticy or romantic fantasy. And if that's the sort of book you're looking for, then perhaps you'd enjoy Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros, if you haven't yet read it, of course. The High Mountain Court by A.K. Mulford, which is the first in a series, or one of the many books by Sarah J. Mass, such as Throne of Glass or A Court of Thorns and Roses. While I didn't enjoy the latter, that doesn't mean you won't, if you haven't already read it. It's one of those books that everyone seems to have read if they like this genre. If you're looking for incredible world building, there's always Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo, or pretty much anything by Brandon Sanderson. Want something that's historical fantasy? What about The Adventures of Amina al-Sarafi by Shannon Chakraborty, which is fantastic and has a gorgeous map on the end pages? And if you just want to be wowed by a story of a god war, then one of my favourites for 2023, and a book I have recommended to so many people, is God Killer by Hannah Kainer. Things have not been all that great of late in my life away from podcasts and reading. And to be honest, both of those have been a welcome retreat from the reality of life far more than I have needed for quite a while. To say that bad news comes in threes would be an understatement. As much of what is affecting me right now isn't exactly my news to share, I will just say that things are a little bit tough right now, but I am hopeful that good news will start to arrive sooner rather than later, seriously, better. In the interim, distraction is key. Now, I will stress here, just so people don't ask, and I'm not going to be going doing that whole message me thing that frustrates the heck out of me on Facebook and other social media platforms. I am fine. I am not going to suddenly keel over or something. I'm not sick. I just have a lot going on in my head that needs to be processed. And as with anyone who experiences mental health issues will tell you, it doesn't take much to crash down your house of cards when you're least expecting it. Right now, I am coping. Everyone in my life is coping and I have some very good friends that I can talk with when I need to. However, if you do want to help me stay marginally distracted, you know where this is going, right? I am more than happy to receive more book recommendations. So if there's a book you've read that you think I'd love or something you want to hear me talk about in my spoiler-free way, send those recommendations on over. I am always interested in being introduced to new books and new authors. You can send me an email at beingbookishpod at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I will be sure to check those recommendations out. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk. 
Well, that's it for this week. And thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends and family and post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. Seriously, that really does help far more than you realize. I am at being underscore bookish over on Twitter, being bookish pod on thread and Instagram and being bookish reviews on TikTok if you want to follow me on socials. You can also check out my lengthier written reviews and the podcast archive on my website beingbookish.co.uk. This coming week is going to be a really busy one as I will be chatting with two amazing authors from Orion for future episodes of the podcast and I really do need to get some books off my outstanding TBR because it's getting ridiculous. So this is me saying farewell. Thank you.